Uh, we are uh, in a series called The End Times, and we're just looking at what Scripture uh, speaks about being ready for the end. And um, uh, we're going to continue that today. We're going to pivot just a little bit in our focus, uh, but we're going to continue that. But before getting into that, I just wanted to share a verse that um, just came to me this morning, I believe from the Lord, and I know it was for me, but maybe it's for somebody else out there. Uh, I was on a walk, and this, the kind of some of the words of this verse came to me, but it's found in Ecclesiastes 3.11, and it says this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Speaking of God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. There's something about us that just rings like, hey, I was made for eternity. I was made for more than just this. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It just came to me that I have no idea all the things that God is up to in my life, <laughs> in my career, in my marriage, in my parenting, in my soul, in my heart, in my relationships, you know? Like, I literally see this much. And I just felt like the Lord was telling me, hey, nobody can fathom. Son, you don't, it wasn't a, a condescending, you know, insulting. It was just a, a comforting, encouraging thing of like, you don't even, you don't even see from, from beginning to end. I'm at work. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm at work in your life. Well, we just sang about it. Even when I don't see it, you're working, right? And, and, and I, I just, if, if you needed to hear that, it has nothing to do with our series. So <laughs> make sure we edit it out of the, you know, formal fancy video. I don't know, I'm just kidding. But I just, maybe somebody else needed to hear that, that God is working. And even though sometimes we can't put the pieces together and we don't see the thread, we're like, what connects what I just went through with what I feel I'm starting to go into now? <laughs> maybe it was a huge mountaintop, like, woo, I felt so successful. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, woo. You know, wait, what's this? Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe we're like, wow, coming into a season of fruitfulness, but I don't understand. God, God is working. God is working in your life. He's got a plan from beginning to end that he is faithfully committed to you to do something. And if you're saying, yes, Lord, yeah, I don't, maybe I don't understand your thread. I don't understand the storyline, but you do, and I trust you. Man, I want you to just rest in the love of your father. Rest in his wisdom. Rest in his goodness. Rest in his commitment to you. He's more excited about bringing you to a place of, of fruitfulness, a place of purpose, a place where your life has meaning in, in bringing him glory for eternity. He set eternity in your heart. Just rest. He knows what he's doing. He's on your side. Be encouraged. Amen? If that's for you, take it. If not, just be like, sweet, it only lasted four minutes. Okay. Um, like I said, we're in a series called The End, and we've been looking at topics like, I believe Dan started four weeks ago with, hey, what should our heart posture be as we even look at topics like The End, right? They've, they're topics that traditionally in the church um, have at times been very divisive. I mean, you all of a sudden start talking about different scriptures, and everybody starts, well, no, that's not how it is, and you got to take this one, and then you got to combine it and carry the one and square root, and, you know, all of a sudden, churches are splitting apart because of end time stuff. We were like, hey, we don't think that's God's will for us, right? God's will for us is that as brothers and sisters, in love, in humility, we can approach God's word 
learn from it, learn from each other, learn from different perspectives. Doesn't mean we have to agree with everything, but, but there's just a posture of humility, a posture of, of uh, knowing that God has a purpose in our lives, right? It's not just like, oh, how quickly can we just get out of here? It's like, no, man, God is at work in our lives, at work through us. There's a purpose. So go back and listen to that. We talked about things like the rapture, uh, things like the great tribulation. Ooh, there's one. Easy listening for that road trip coming up in the summer. Uh, We talked about the Antichrist. Woohoo, right? Great. Wow, see, so much excitement. Um, (laughs) And uh, so, all that to say, we tried to tackle several of kind of these big bite ideas about the end times. We're pivoting a little bit. These next, today and and the next two weekends, we're going to pivot a little bit to, to, hey, um, bringing it back around to what can we do today? How does God want us to live today in light of, of, of the end times? So that we can be, I believe God wants us to be faithful, and I believe he wants to, us to be fearless, right? Full of faith, full of loyalty to him. He's looking for believers that, that when the going gets tough, don't give up, but that honor his name, right? He's always been wanting those kinds of sons and daughters that reflect him no matter what persecution, no matter what trauma the world brings at us, we're faithful in Christ and to Christ, but we're also fearless. We're able to face the future with joy, with confidence. And so I believe that um, one of the passages that, that uh, speaks to those things is 2 Timothy, believe it or not. It, it's not typically considered uh, a, a book that talks a lot about the end times. But 2 Timothy, uh, specifically chapter 3, we're going to look at today, and I believe it speaks to us about how to be faithful and fearless, and, and how to really walk in victory in those areas. And before we jump into it, just quick on 2 Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a young man that Paul had uh, adopted, so to speak, on a missionary journey. You can read about it in the book of Acts. Uh, he was part Greek, part Jewish, and he just, uh, they just had a connection, and they began you know, traveling together and ministering together. And Timothy obviously saw from the Apostle Paul signs, wonders, miraculous, you know, proclaiming the good news, all of the lifestyle that he had. And so eventually, Paul ended up sending Timothy to Ephesus to pastor the church that had been started in Ephesus. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 19. Uh, there was this whole uh, thing where they were teaching in the synagogue. They ended up going next door to a lecture hall, really kind of the first time that the church got out of the church walls, if that makes sense, got out of the religious institutions and kind of went viral into the marketplace. Whole nother sermon there. I wish I could preach it. Anyway, super exciting because then it's like, bam! Then like a few verses later, it says, everyone in the province of Asia had heard the word of the gospel. Like, whoa, what happened? With no radio, no social media, no internet, no you know television or anything. Uh, incredible. But this church had been started in Ephesus. It was a huge metropolitan city. It was a very important city. Crossroads of, of trade routes and things like that. Uh, very important in the, in the Greek culture. Uh, um, hundreds of thousands of, of people living in it. On the top of the hill was uh, the temple to Artemis, the goddess Artemis. And uh, they were very passionate about this. In fact, uh, when Paul and the other believers obviously were, were, were preaching that God is God, not Artemis or Diana... Uh, they just chanted angrily for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Like literally just for two hours, saying nothing but So they were very into what, you know, their false gods, their idolatry, their pagan rituals. They had all kinds of you know, temple prostitution and all kinds of craziness going on uh, with, with that. Uh, but the gospel had taken root 
in Ephesus. And God's word had come in, and a community of believers had spread it up. So Timothy was sent to pastor these, uh, these people. And uh, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, probably around 60, 62 AD. And this was actually the last letter that Paul wrote. So he was actually uh, uh, getting ready to lay down his life for the Lord. This was his second imprisonment, and uh, he would go on to be martyred for the testimony of Jesus. But he's writing to his protege, Timothy, encouraging him, and I just believe it actually has a lot to speak to us as we think about our faithfulness and fearlessness in the Lord as we look at the end time. So I'm going to read beginning with verse 1 through 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you can go ahead and pull that up. He says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Can I get a hallelujah? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Okay. It's the first verse. Okay. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Whoa, that just kind of got thrown in there. Kids, beware. Obey your parents. Okay, because you don't want to be in this list. Proud, excuse me, disobedient to the parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Wow, what a list, huh? Kind of scary. Don't go have nightmares about this, kids. But anyway, it's a, it, it describes a culture of deception. It describes a culture that has turned away from God. And I think perhaps, you know, it could be contrasted with the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? That list is telling us, man, what what does it look like when the Spirit is at work in our life? This list that we just read is like, okay, what happens when that is not at work in our life? And it describes a, a, a character of a person that is rotting from the inside out, that is in desperate need of the Spirit of God to come in and, and change and transform them. And it, I think it describes kind of a culture as well, right? When that becomes widespread. And we're told that in the last days, that is going to increase. But then did you catch that phrase at the very end? There's one phrase there that was probably the scariest for me. And it's at the very end. After all those terrible things, those terrible things that are described, then it says this, there'll be people who have a form of godliness but deny its power. Did you catch that? That's like, oh, wow. That one is perhaps the, the, the scariest of all. Because, see, I believe that when, when it comes to um, the end times, two great fears that really rattle our hearts as believers are, and you tell me if you think this is true, deception, Will I know? Will I know if the mark of the beast comes around and they come knocking? Will I know not to take it? Will I know how to be faithful to the Lord? Or will I be deceived like many others? And persecution, right? Hard times, suffering. What, what is the price that I will have to pay to follow Jesus, to be faithful to him? And I think as we look at the end times, oftentimes those two things, deception, persecution, become the, the source of a lot of fear in our lives. And I believe God wants us to know, man, he's got a plan and a purpose is able to keep us from being deceived and is able to keep us strong in suffering no matter what the world brings so that we are faithful 
and fearless. And so here's the thing. I think it, it's worth asking ourselves, how do we know if we really have God's power in our lives versus a form of godliness that looks good, kind of a you know, band-aid, a little religion, oh, I you know, go to church and I put a little money in the box on the wall and I, you know, tend to try to be a better person than my neighbor or, you know, treat him with kindness or whatever, but it's denying the power. So interaction time, guys. Uh, as you may remember, Shine Church can be a place of interaction. Sometimes we go, you know, teaching. Sometimes we go more interactive. But if Donnie, if you, uh, yep, Donnie's at the back with a microphone. Uh, raise your hand. What is a way that you can know or I can know that genuinely the Spirit of God is at work in power in my life. I'm not participating in a form of godliness, but that really the power of God is at work in me. Anybody? Raise your hand. In the back. Uh, your life bears fruit. Okay, and what kind of fruit? Just speak to that for a second. Um, the fruits of the Spirit. Mm. Patience. 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 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and just, you know, everything, like love, joy, like if you, they'll know us by our fruit. So if they look at you and see that that's, you're not only saying that you believe in God, but you're living it, mm. then that's powerful. Mm. Wow. So good. So good, right? Your life is the most powerful sermon that the people around you will ever hear, right? If I'm hearing you correctly, it's that fruit of the Spirit of God genuinely changing you from the inside out, producing that fruit that we find in Galatians. Very good. Somebody else. How can we know? Back at the back. Um, showing grace, even mm. when somebody might not deserve it, and mm. really um, showing that when it's hard and then mm -hmm. trying to actually, you know, put that out there. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because that doesn't flow naturally from our flesh or from ourself, does it? Just our natural, I don't, well, I don't know about you, maybe I should just speak for myself. You, but I know what comes naturally for me is, man, if you treat me a certain way, I'm going to give that right back to you. My wife read me a, a, a little meme this week about women, how they take what you give them and make it bigger. <laughs> and here's the thing, I'm not going to read it. It's, it's, it starts out very lovely. In fact, the meme that she showed me was all lovely. It was missing the last phrase. So now talking about, you know, you give a woman a seed and she will give you back a baby. You know, you give her, you know, this or that and she'll give you back so much more. And then there's other versions out there that basically just say, be careful not to give them a lot of trouble. Uh, I'll leave that there. <laughs> but, but to the point that Scott is making, right, that, that there's what is in us is not typically to give grace when it is undeserved. And I think Jesus speaks to that in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Matthew 5 through 7. He says, hey, if you love those who love you, if you are kind to those who are kind to you, what different are you than people without the Spirit of God? Because if, you know, you're super nice to me, well, I'm probably going to just be nice back, if anything, just to keep you around. Because, you know, I need that kind of friends. In my, I need that kind of positivity in my life. <laughs> but when we're gracious to those who are unkind, when we bless our enemies, when we forgive those who persecute us, you know, you're absolutely right, Scott. That is a, a great sign that, man, the power of God is actively at work. It's not just a form of godliness. One more. Over here, Donnie.
the one thing that just came to me when you were talking is keeping the Bible our plumb line mm. and not straying either way. Mm. So good. The Bible is the truth, and we've got to keep our eyes on the truth. Woo. Thank you, Lord. Amen. That is a huge way we know, and we're actually going to talk about that in a minute. So thank you. No, thank you for that. So if you need to leave early, the Bible is point number two. Okay. Um, hope you stick around, though. Absolutely. Um, man, I believe that God wants us to know that his spirit is at work in us. He wants us to see it played out. Does that mean we're perfect? Does that mean, man, we don't blow it? Does that mean we don't stumble and fall? You know, we don't sin? That's not what I'm saying. But I believe that God's heart for us is to see transformation, to see change in our life, to see his character, the character of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the power of Jesus being revealed in our lives. Do you agree with that? Amen. So how do we get there? Okay, what is the instruction? There's an instruction given to Timothy and, of course, to share with the church at Ephesus to say, hey, when you've got people walking in this kind of way, it says turn away from them. That word is actually to shun. It's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. Now, maybe when I say to shun, you're like, oh, no, here we go. You know, you have images of, like, the Amish, you know, like, you know, going on the other side of the road. Maybe some of you have images of Dwight Schrute. You know, shun. Okay, unshun. Hey, can I have some creamer, please? Okay, reshun, you know. Anyway, I don't know what kind of images you have of shunning. But I know if you're like me, it's like, oh, no, I don't want to become a Pharisee. I don't want to become holier than thou. I don't want to become a person that is unloving to sinners. Like, is that what God is asking? Because he says, turn away from them. And here's the thing. Obviously, we know Jesus in John 3, 16, it says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. goes on to say in the very next verse, for the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, right, sinners, but that the world uh, would be saved through him. So I don't believe it's God's will that we go around treating sinners with contempt, with pride, with arrogance, with get away from me, I can't talk to you, and so forth and so on. Now, obviously, maybe he's making reference here of those that are calling themselves believers. But what I believe if we dig, what God is saying from us is saying this. The community that we keep matters. I believe God is giving us a secret to protect us against deception in the end times. And he's saying this, if you hang with other believers, if you are mindful of who you're allowing to influence your thoughts, your attitudes, your priorities, your schedule, your checkbook, your calendar, right? How you spend your time, your treasure, your talent, all those things. Man, if you're in community, there's a lot better chance that you're going to walk in discernment and in wisdom, no matter what the end times bring. Do you believe that? You agree? Um, we were at a, a men's advance years ago with, with Jubilee, uh, the church that we were a part of before uh, it became Shine. And uh, the speaker there uh, talked about this topic and he showed a video of a group of uh, wildebeests. A herd? Is it a herd? Anybody an expert in wildebeests? Uh, <laughs> a herd of wildebeests, right? And they were on the banks of a, of a river uh, in Africa. And one of the younger wildebeests had gotten away from the herd. And there were a pride of lions, so far so good, uh, who came and uh, grabbed that young wildebeest and dragged it away down towards the water. 
and like its leg was in the mouth of the lion, and there was just nothing it could do, and there were like three or four lions. And it was a very, very terrible for an animal. I'm, I'm sorry. If you're, maybe if you're a hunter, you don't, you're like, oh, sweet. This is great. Play it slow motion. You know, I don't know. But I'm kind of a, you know, I'm like, oh, no. Plus, anyway, so, so we're watching this whole thing, and you think it's over, right? You're like literally one teenage wildebeest compared, you know, fighting three lions. The rest of the herd of wildebeest is over here. And you think it's over, and it's not going to be pretty. But here's what happens. The wildebeest somehow in their little wildebeest secret language, like, start communicating with each other, and they start like, hey, forming a plan and mobilizing, and literally starting to join ranks, and shoulder to shoulder start advancing on these lions. Now, I mean, I'm not an expert zoologist or whatever, but I, I don't think wildebeest typically are like, oh, let's pick a fight with some lions, right? Like, but they literally like come together and solidly start surrounding these lions. And these lions start looking around, and they're still trying to, you know, hang on to this young wildebeest. And eventually, to make a long story short, you guessed it. They are able to save and deliver that young wildebeest. And, it's like, you know, it's like hobbling at first, and all of a sudden it's like, hoo-hoo, you know, like, you know, giraffes when they're a little... And it totally lived, guys. Well, I don't know how much, I mean, maybe it got shot by a hunter, like, you know. I don't fully know the end of the story, but let's just for the sake of happiness in this particular message, it lived, but it truly, I mean, it's, it's on, you could Google this on, vid, on, on YouTube or whatever, but it was a powerful reminder that the enemy's strategy to bring us into deception is often first to isolate us from community, right? He tries to get us on our own, and when he starts, when he gets us on our own, he gets us away from the people that are encouraging us the people that are standing with us, the people that believe in us, the people that are able to hold us accountable if we start wandering off a little bit. Hey, what's going on? Hey, come back, right? Hey, you look sad. Or, wow, you know what? You should have been spending a lot of time on the home shopping network, like, you know, buying cheap, you know, China. You're like, come back into the fold. I don't know, you know, whatever it might be, right? But in love, in love, the community, God, the, the community, godly community, I believe is one of the secrets that God has given us to have victory over deception. And clearly there's a deception spoken of, right, that will come. We read about it in Revelation chapter 13, the beast that will deceive the nations of the earth. We read about it, Jesus speaks of it in, in Matthew 24, he says there will be false Christs and false prophets that arise, even 2 Thessalonians 2 says that the, the secret work of godlessness is already at work and in, in, in play, even in Paul's day, right, in the first century. So we know that deception is a huge part of what the enemy is wanting to do, and even in the end times, I believe, what, what one of his main weapons will be. But God is saying, hey, don't worry. I've got a secret plan against deception to keep you safe, to keep you on target, to keep you close to me. And I believe one of those powerful weapons against deception is godly community. He goes on to say this. In, in verses 6 through 8, Paul describes a little bit more in detail those deceivers and those people of godless character. But then in verse 9, we're given good news. He says this, They will not advance much further. For just like Jonas and Jambres, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, their folly will be plain to everyone. God is able to help us stand against deception. What, what I, from what I was able to gather, Jonas and Jambres were names given to the sorcerers 
in the day of Moses, when he went up against Pharaoh into Pharaoh's presence, and remember how he was like threw down his rod and it became a serpent and then took it back up and then, you know, turned the Nile into blood and did, uh, you know, several, uh, well, 10 plagues ultimately. But the first two or three, the sorcerers were able to copy. Don't understand how, by the power of the enemy, I guess, but they were able to actually replicate those initial signs. And so the names, according to, to some uh, uh, historians, uh, were, Jonas and Jambres were names that were given to these sorcerers that their purpose was to deceive and to enslave, just like the enemy, right? His purpose is to deceive and to enslave. But what does it say there? Verse 9, it says, don't worry, their folly will be plain to everyone. You see, God has the ability. He's got the last word. He's able to bring discernment. He's able to shine his light. He's able to bring us, in fact, he's given us the spirit of truth. Jesus told us, right, John 14, 15, 16, that he has sent his spirit of truth to guide us into all truth. We don't have to fear deception. And here's the deal. It goes on to say this. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 and 11, I believe we're, we're shown where we are to find our greatest community, that inner circle. You, however... Speak, Paul speaking to Timothy, have observed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance, my persecutions, and the sufferings that came upon me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. You know, I believe that this is saying, he's telling Timothy, Timothy, we've spent time together. We've hung out. We've, we've spent the night at the hostel in, you know, Asia Minor, there, you know, in the outskirts of Ephesus. We got on boats together. We shared meals together. You've, you've been with me when I've been proclaiming the gospel to large crowds, or maybe when I've been meeting one-on-one -on -one with someone and, and seeing demons cast out like happened at Philippi and seeing people be healed by the power of God. Whatever it might be, he's telling Timothy, Timothy, you've observed right? It speaks of a, of a relationship, not, not sort of you learned in a book and you went to Bible college and you learned about these things. You've been in personal relationship with me, Timothy. And I want you to remember the impact that that godly community of having one another in each other's lives had, the, the transformative impact. Think back, if, you know, if I were to ask you lectures or even sermons, Peter, Peter and I have had this conversation. How many sermons do you remember? Think about it for a quick second. <laughs> if I were to ask you like the outline, like, could you write down an outline, three points and a poem as a bonus, if you can remember, three points and a poem. But if you can even remember, or even two, two main points of a sermon you heard from January till now. How many of us be like, oh, about Jesus and the Bible and God, <laughs> the Antichrist. <laughs> we probably don't remember. We preachers don't remember. Like, I couldn't tell you very many sermons that I've preached, teachings that I've taught. I mean, I've taught a bunch of them, and I, wow. You know, and I spent hours and hours not hearing it once on a weekend, but like hours, oh, yeah, this is the, oh, this outline is so precious. And then boom, two weeks later, I'm like, what was it again? It was truly life-changing. But here's the thing. If I asked you, can you remember someone, a person that you've seen Jesus in? A person that exhibited something, a fire 
a fire in their soul. Uh, uh, like Jeremiah talked about a fire in his bones, right? The word of God burns in me like a fire. And it could be it. It could be a mom that her passion to teach her kids the word of God and pray with them and read them Bible stories just, wow, inspired you. It could be a friend that just his peace in the middle of sickness or adversity, going through a difficult sickness, inspired you. I've got a friend that we just visited in the hospital, throat cancer, going through, I mean, incredible suffering, describing to us the, 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 the mucus that is produced and how it, it won't come out, but it won't, he won't swallow it, and, and there's vomiting. I mean, the suffering, the suffering that he's going through, and yet holding fast to his God, right? When you see Jesus in someone, when you see faithfulness, you see worship, you see sacrifice, you see love and gentleness, whatever it is, but you see a sermon, not hear it, you see it in someone's life living out. Doesn't that, I bet if I asked you, do you remember someone? Most of us are like, yeah, that take me about three seconds and I could probably write you a list of four, five, 10, 20 people that have impacted me. Paul is saying to Timothy, this is a secret for victory, Timothy. This is a secret against deception is if we're in these kind of relationships in our lives, it's part of God's plan to protect us from being isolated like that wildebeest and being dragged away from being faithful to Jesus. How do we do that, guys? And how do we do that in 2022? I, I just want to ask uh, interactively um, because, man, we're busy, aren't we? I mean, I don't know about you, but it's, it's hard. Like, there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on in our lives. There's kids' activities, there's school, there's work, there's whatever. How, what's a way we can do this? What's a way that we can prioritize godly relationships and godly influences in our lives right here and now? Anybody have a thought? What's worked for you? Or what have you seen? Right up here in the front. Well, what's worked for me and my family is coming to shine. Okay. Um, we talk about God and everything at home and with friends and other family members. But for us, we wanted to kind of reach out further and go somewhere. And, of mm. course, we knew Dan, so mm. here we yeah. are. Right. And that's what we have been doing. So for the last month and a half, this oh, good. we make sure every Sunday morning. Mm. And we are so excited, and our children are mm. so excited. Wow. So that for us is opening up a path for us to walk mm. and show Jesus, yes, thank you, and this is what we're going to do for you. So mm. I'm sorry. No. So coming here really means a lot to us. That's awesome. We're so glad you're here, guys. Yeah, I believe Dan officiated one of, the, yeah, a wedding right here, and, and that was kind of the initial point of, we're so glad you're here, guys. And, and again, good for you because that's an intentional decision. You guys are having to make time and get in the car and drive down. And I mean, it's not just something that like happens to you. You're actively saying, this is important. I want to make that. And all of you are. Guess what? Look around. That person sitting next to you, they chose godly community this morning. So did you. <laughs> That's awesome, guys. Somebody else. What's another way? John. Uh, me and my wife will get together with other like-minded believers um, once or twice a week and just sit down, once, yeah, once or twice a month and just sit down and talk um, mm -hmm. about God and 
it's not really a Bible study, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like a Bible study where yeah. we'll just talk about different topics and God mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So yeah. good, bro. Mischievously inserting the things of God into those relationships that you already have, right? And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're sharing something and hearing from, gaining something from each other that's encouraging in the Lord. Yeah, a couple more, yeah, for sure. Lorraine. I know for me, I have to stay prayed up because if I don't, um, I let my carnal self get in the way. I have to die daily, die to self, to the mm. things that I want. Wow. Or if I feel something's wrong, I, my carnal self wants to start judging. Mm. So I have to stay prayed up so I die to those feelings mm-hmm. and let God take over because if not, yeah. Christ can't come through. Mm. So good. That's definitely a part. Yeah, so good. We're going to talk about that too more in just a minute. Yeah, Kim. Hi there. Hey, um, I, I had a little bit of time with one of my, well, a couple of my little grandchildren because they stayed overnight with us this weekend. Um, but one of the things that I was sharing with them is that, you know, um, throughout life, you know, you're going to hear maybe other kids uh, say this Jesus that you believe in, he's not real or whatever. So you want to just... So what I want to do is I want to plant this in my grandchildren that, you know, times are going to get harder and you're, you know, and this faith that you have in Jesus, the one that loves you and one that's going to lead you and going to guide you and going to direct you, you know, you got to be strong, you got to be steadfast and you got to say, um, you got to love those people in spite of the fact that they're going to try to take you away from this God who just loves you and adores you. And I looked at Brad and I go, man, I want to say this to all my grandkids. Wow. And I want to really just continue to penetrate this in their soul. Um, you know, the love of Christ and how he's going to, you know, and, and how the Holy Spirit's going to lead you, help you to make these decisions, mm-hmm. you know, th- through through the rest mm. of eternity. Mm. So, mm. So Hopefully good. I can do that, not just with the little ones, but then my 17-year-old grandchildren too, uh, you know? Yeah, yeah, I love that so much. Just recognizing, you know, God's basic unit of discipleship long before the church was ever started is the family, right? He created families. I mean, in the Garden of Eden, he created a family. And his heart is that, man, right there, using our, our influence as grandparents or as aunts and uncles or siblings or sons and daughters, parents, whatever it might be, man, using that in, in humility, in gentleness, obviously being sensitive to, to in love, but how great is that, Kim, that you're doing that? And if, you know, I, if you've had the privilege of having some relatives in your life that, you know, love Jesus, and, and maybe they've spoken into you. I remember my in-laws, you know, reading the story at Christmas time to our kids or talking, you know, just even short little moments where, you know, grandpa and grandma would speak to our kids. We, we do it. You know, we have two grandsons and a granddaughter on the way. And I know we're watching them actually tomorrow uh, for, for our uh, son and daughter-in-law. And when we get to read them some Bible stories, I just know it's like, okay, this is somebody else validating what mom and dad are telling them about Jesus, right? And so all of a sudden, it's like, it's just creating that more, more confirmation of who God is and, and the promises of Jesus and the word of God. Man, I want to encourage you. Take advantage of the relationships that you're in. Take advantage of the family that you're in. Both to receive encouragement in community and to give. Encourage, yeah, Josh. Uh, something that we've found um, 
really difficult, though, is in this passage where it says have nothing to do with those who have these forms of godliness. I, I think um, a lot of our hearts are to be loving and generous and kind mm -hmm. as Christians and as believers. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to be gracious and long-suffering and, and trying to, like, help these people. Um, and I have never taken – there's been many times in our lives, and I've seen it recently in the last year in our life, where we didn't take this verse seriously, mm -hmm. where we have nothing to do with them. Mm -hmm. uh, that's hard for Christians to swallow. Because how could Jesus say that? How could how could God's heart be to have nothing to do with these people yeah. who have various forms of godliness? It literally says mm -hmm. they're learning all the time but never coming to the truth. Mm -hmm. So it's like these people who are well-studied and they have all these ideas and they're very religious. Uh, but we watch the toxicity breathe into our marriage and into our family mm -hmm. as we tried to love them, we tried to convince them into truth, tried to have this like Christian relationship with them and push mm -hmm. them towards this, this relationship with God that leads them into godliness. But they're, I don't know, they're, they're incapable. Uh, there's, there's really, really toxic scenario there. And so uh, I think there's a challenge in here uh, of boldness. Uh, and especially I, I just like, to me, from the Holy Spirit as a father and as a husband, to stand up for your family and like, look, this is toxic. This is not healthy, and we have to say no to this friendship. Yeah. Uh, we have to say no to these people. And it feels almost ungodly. It feels unloving, but it's not. It's a, it's a fight for righteousness and holiness, and it's a fight to protect and guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, and so we've, just to be vulnerable with our, our wrestle of, like, that's been really hard to say, say no to people who were kind of godly-ish, mm -hmm. but really weren't. The fruit in their lives was toxic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, there's definitely a time for necessary endings, right? Where we've given grace, we've given, we've been patient, we've we've not, we've withheld judgment, we've let given it time for the for that fruit. But then at the end of the day, if, again, that's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? To to help us discern when is the time for us to say it doesn't mean God might not send somebody else into their lives to give them one more chance or another or another or another. We don't know. Again, God is sovereign in His plans. But, but we have to discern for us, like, when it's time to go, you know what, this is toxic, and I need to be, I've got a limited amount of time and energy and resources, and I need to, you know, I, and I need to divvy that up with folks that God has called me to pour out that might not know Jesus at all, but whose, heart, whose soil is tender and, and able to receive the seed of, of the gospel, and those that are mutually encouraging in, in pursuing Jesus. Thank you, Josh, for bringing that up. So good, guys. Wow. Is God speaking? Their wisdom this morning. Amen. Let's transition real quick to the second, um, the second big fear that I think it, oftentimes we have is persecution, right? We talk about deception and, and what's going to happen, how are we going to know, and all of those things when it comes to the end times. But I think persecution is the other one. If you've seen, uh, you know, some of the movies or read the book series and all that kind of stuff. I remember as a kid, oh man, the electric razor in the sink, you know, where it had dropped and it was still on but there was no person shaving dun, 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 dun. you were left behind and i mean just literally like night terrors i mean you know just the fear the country of, of all of that you know we saw the videos with like the guillotine and the whole bit you know and maybe you did too. anybody anybody yeah a couple of you okay um if you don't 
good news, there's still time to watch all of those, I, I think. Anyway, but my point is this. Sometimes there's a lot of fear that goes into persecution, suffering. What lies ahead, right? We don't, we don't know, but certainly looking at history, there have been seasons of, of intense persecution. In fact, even today in this day and age, there's persecution. There's, there's people in different countries in the world that are suffering for their faith in Jesus. I just had a feed on my social media uh, this morning of, of a pastor who uh, has uh, been kidnapped and is being held and, and actually passed away uh, in the hands of people that kidnapped him because of, of obviously, his testimony uh, in the gospel. And so, uh, you know, there, there is persecution happening. And uh, here's what it says in uh, 2 Timothy, that same cha uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, just reviewing a little bit. You, however, Paul speaking to Timothy, have observed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, perseverance. We read that. But then in verse 11, my persecutions and the sufferings that came upon me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Remember, uh, I believe it was in Lystra uh, where Paul was actually stoned and left for dead. You guys remember that? It talks about it in the book of Acts. I mean, Paul was uh, beaten several times, the 40 minus 1, which is 39 lashes, which is what they believed a human being could actually endure. They believed that at the 40 lash mark, most humans or, or a number of humans would literally die. So they backed it up by 1. The 40 minus 1 was like, let's take them to the very limit of, of survival, of, of, of dying. And let's give them the maximum amount of suffering without actually killing them. And Paul suffered that numerous times. So he's telling Timothy about these things and he says this, What persecutions I endured. Yet, listen to these words, the Lord rescued me from all of them. The Lord rescued me from all of them. The Lord rescued me from all of them. Then he goes on to say very truthfully and realistically, indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I believe hidden in this passage is some good news for us. Paul was speaking of himself saying, hey, I went through all kinds of suffering, but the Lord was able to deliver me. He was actually in prison writing this, and he was actually getting ready to lay down his life. He ultimately was about to be killed for his faith. So he wasn't like, woohoo, I snap my hands three times, and I say in Jesus' name, Shanda, and all of the soldiers fall back, and I'm able to march. That has happened in Scripture, right? In the book of Acts, we see that Peter was delivered from prison, and literally that happened. The, angel, the, the, the angels came in, and the soldiers were like, oh, I don't know what happened. Where'd they go? You know, and they were out preaching the gospel the next day at the town square. So God is able. We have testimonies in modern day. God is able to miraculously deliver from, from prison, from suffering, but he doesn't always. So what is Paul talking about? If, if God doesn't always deliver from suffering, what is he talking about? That word rescue, rio mai, it means this, to draw to oneself. It's used in the Lord's prayer, deliver us from evil, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver. That word, deliver us from evil. And it, it speaks of this, delivering someone 
to oneself. Lord, deliver me out of my personal pains and bring me to you and for you. I believe the Lord wants you to know he is more than able to rescue you, to deliver you to himself, whatever that means. And here's the interesting thing. We don't get to dictate what exactly that deliverance looks like, do we? Christians all over the world today are not able to. I'm sure many of them would be like, wow, yes, Lord, I have a suggestion. Do we have a suggestion box? I have a suggestion. How about all these people that are trying to kill us and making us suffer go away or come to know you? That seems like, what's wrong with this plan? Win-win. <laughs> you get more people to love you and worship you, we get to stop being tortured. Right? God doesn't always work in the ways that we would want. And sometimes we don't understand why. But I believe that God wants us to know from his word that he is able to deliver us from all things. He's able to take us and make himself present with us and be strong in the midst of suffering. You know, um, one of the, the, the challenges with the literature and the movies and all of the media about end-time suffering is that we're seeing it played out, but probably, unless we've been called to go to one of those countries and suffer for Jesus, and some of us are, or, or many believers are, but if we're not actively being called to that, probably we don't have the grace of God to walk through it. Have you found that? That God doesn't just give you grace for something that you're not called God doesn't, right, give you a submarine if he's not calling you to get in the water and go somewhere else, right? I mean, he doesn't, like, he gives us grace for the thing that he's calling us to. So therefore, if I just sit here and, like, imagine, oh, no, what will it be? Oh, no, in the end times, and oh, when they come knocking, you know, in the movies, it was like this blue van, and then people jumped out, and they had, like, you know, military police things, but it was like, one world, you know, let us give you the mark, you know. And it was like, I remember as a kid just being terrified. I mean, literally, it was like, no, what will I do? Will I have the strength to be faithful to Jesus? But here's the thing. If God isn't right now calling me to walk through that, he's probably not giving me the grace and the strength to walk through it. If you read historically the book of the martyrs, you'll read incredible things of getting ready to be burned at the stake and people saying, I regret that I have but one life to give for my Savior. Things like that, I mean, don't come from a natural place, right? Can we agree on that? That is the power of God at work in someone that is able to forgive their enemies, love and, and bear witness for Jesus, even in the midst of great suffering and great trial. But God wants you to know, hey, if he calls us at some point to walk through something very difficult, he is more than able to give us his grace, to give us his peace, to deliver, to take us unto himself and walk with us even as we walk through it to the other side. Stephen says he looked up in Acts chapter 7, saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. And he was able to persevere, being suffered, being tortured, stoned to death. But he was able to walk through victoriously, remain faithful, and be fearless because of the grace of God. And God says there's nothing less for you if God calls us to walk through something seemingly impossible, his grace is going to be there for us. He's able to rescue us. Amen? Listen to what Revelation 12, 11 says about this. It says, they, meaning the saints of God, God's holy people, you and I, they triumphed over him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb 
and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. Wow, that's it, guys. God has a plan for victory, and it's called the blood of the Lamb. How many of you guys agree, without the blood of Jesus, we were toast before we began, right? Like, he, that's, that's square one. He giving his blood, making us righteous. One of Peter's, my first favorite verses is, he made him who knew no sin, meaning Jesus, become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God because of the blood of Jesus. That is the most powerful truth in the entire universe. There's nothing else that could be so game-changing as the blood of Jesus that when I was stuck in my sin and had no hope whatsoever, he made me the righteousness of God. He's made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But from there, the word of my testimony, what am I speaking? What am I believing, right? From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there's a secret for victory there that, man, the way to defeat the enemy is, of course, first be washed in the blood of Jesus. Sorry, I know it's a churchy term, but I don't know how else to say it. To trust in Jesus as our Savior, that his death for us is the only path to righteousness. But then the words coming out of my mouth are speaking what, what his word, I'm echoing, coming back to, to you, Lorraine, the word of God, right? That I'm speaking his word through my mouth, believing his promises. That's defeating the enemy. But last, there's that third one. So those two were like, woohoo, hallelujah, preach it, brother DJ, the blood of Jesus, I'm in. The word of God, I'm in. And then it's like, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. Why couldn't we stop after the first two? That speaks of even if kind of faith, right? Kind of reminds me of the three Hebrew children. Remember that story in the book of Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They go up against the king and they're like, oh king, you know, he brings them in. Why didn't you bow before my idol? Everybody else is bowing. And they're like, oh king, know this. The God we serve is able to deliver us from your furnace. And it was a powerful declaration and it was true. But then they said this, but know this, even if he does not, we still will not bow. Even if I'm called to walk through the fire. Even if there is suffering in my future. Even if it doesn't all play out the way that I wish it would. Know this, O King, we will not bow. We bow to the King of Kings alone, to the Lord of Lords. Amen. God is able to give us that strength, that even if kind of faith, that we don't love our lives so much as to shrink back from death. And there's been believers that have been faithful to Jesus in every generation. And guys, if God calls us to walk through that, we're going to be no different. The same God who gave them strength is going to give you strength. The same God who gave them peace in the middle of it is going to bring you through in peace in the middle of it. Thank you, Lord. One more secret here. He goes on to share this with us. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. But as for you, Paul speaking to Timothy, Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know from whom you learned it. Again, relationship, community. We see Jesus in each other. Timothy had seen Jesus in Paul's life. He knew this wasn't just some theory. It really worked in the real world. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Josh, to your point, exactly the opposite of the other people who are studying, studying, but not able. 
because their heart is not cooperating with the Lord. Their heart is hard. They're resisting the, the, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Here he says, you, uh, these scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation, for sozo, to be saved, delivered, healed through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, this is the, the, the last portion here, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that, what's the effect of all this? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Is that good news? Guys, God hasn't left us alone, and he hasn't even just left us with godly community and his spirit, as good as that would even be. But he's gone a step farther. He's given us his word. He's breathed his word. Come on, that, Lorraine, to, to the importance of, of the word of God, right? As I meditate, as I soak in God's word, I believe that is another huge weapon that God has given us to be faithful to the king and to be fearless, no matter what the end times bring. No matter if these terrible times that were in verse one of this chapter, in the end there will be terrible times. Okay, even so, even if that happens in our day, I believe that the word of God is saying, hey, I'm able to accomplish everything I desire in you. We see four processes in there. Real quickly, what are they? Teaching, pretty basic, right? The conveying of information and applying that information. Rebuking, this one actually kind of got me. This word rebuke, uh, which the word of God is effective in rebuking, actually is an inner conviction focused on God confirming his inbirthing of faith. So it's found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, when he says, faith is uh, the certainty of things hoped for, the evidence, that word evidence, of things not seen. That is the word rebuke. It is like an evidence of God in our spirit getting stronger and stronger, saying, hey, this Jesus stuff is real. Hey, this Bible stuff is real. Hey, I can put my trust in the word of God. Hey, I can put my confidence fully in him. There's something of the work of God. So it's not just like rebuking me when I'm wrong, but it's building confidence in me and empowering me to trust the Lord even more. What about this? Correcting. That word means correction. <laughs> it means making something suitable because it's straight or some, referring to something that is aptly straightened out. Has any of your parents ever told Straighten out. Young man, straight out. Well, I guess they were right in some way. <laughs> Jess, when you're telling your kiddos, the triplets and Harv, straighten out. Right from the word of God. God is saying, hey, my word that is breathed from my mouth is able to straighten out your life. When you're kind of getting crooked, when you're kind of going sideways, when you're kind of, you know, not quite letting the grace, letting my truth change you from the inside out, transform you, bring the fruit of the spirit, Scott, that you're talking about, hey, my word is able to straighten you out. I'm able to correct. If you'll give it a chance, it'll straighten you. It'll make you straight as an arrow. What about the last one, training in righteousness? That word means to train someone to reach full development or maturity. Man, I want to encourage you. God, when he looks at you, doesn't see like, oh, yeah, there's Kelly. Do we really have to let her in to glory? Okay, fine. Yes, I know. I poured out my blood. Okay, fine. Let her in. By the skin of her teeth. Ugh. Is it too late to change the rules? That's not how God sees us. God sees us with, with an eye, a father's eye for our full potential. 
right? And he wants to bring us to full maturity. He wants to train us, right? I remember hearing of, a, of a, an NFL football player whose son told him in high school, I want to be a football player, Dad. I want to play in the NFL. And he's like, okay. And the next morning, he woke him up at like 4.30 in the morning, gave him a three-egg seven things of bacon breakfast or whatever, drove him three miles from his house and said, okay, run back home before doing your homework and get ready for school. And he did that day after day after day because what? He had a father's eye for his son. And he believed that there was actually possibility there. And so he started taking the specific steps to train him. And guess what? That son went on. I believe the end of the story is he ended up being in the NFL. Ed Tandy McLaughlin is the dad. He spoke at a men's event that, that we had years ago. But here's the deal. Your father looks at you the same way. He's got an understanding better than when you don't even believe in yourself. Coming back to Ecclesiastes 3, when when you don't even see from start to finish, God, what are you doing? My life feels like a disjointed bunch of random experiences, random jobs, random relationships, random, I don't know, God. I'm a mess. When we feel like a hot mess, maybe we are a hot mess, It's okay. Sometimes we are. We're like, no, it is pretty messy. But God's like, I know. But I'm able to take all these fractured, fragmented things, and I see a storyline, and I see where you're headed. I see if you cooperate with me and let my word, God breathe, let it uh, teach you. Let it build faith in you, rebuke or, or affirm. Let it correct you and let it train you. I see where you're capable of going in me and me and you. And it's going to be fun. Buckle up. You want to go? You want to go off-road with me? I'm telling you what, there's no better way to live, guys. God is able to keep us not just from deception, but able to keep us faithful to him in persecution. Just two quick scriptures, I'll let you go. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, even in the month of May in Colorado sometimes, And do not return to it without watering the earth and make it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. God speaking. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Mm. Is that good? Guys, when when I don't have a way to get myself where I feel I need to be, when I don't know the next step to take, when I'm confused, when I'm frustrated, it's so encouraging to say, you know what, this word, well, this is an iPad, but you know, if you have a physical Bible, don't tell my mom. She's like, preach from the real Bible. (laughs) Sorry, mom. But it's so encouraging to know, you know what, when I don't know, the word of God is able to bring me to where he wants me to be. His word is God-breathed. His word has the power that I lack, and it will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. Lord, let your word accomplish its full purpose in us, Jesus. Man, do you want that? Mm. Guys, soaking in his word is such a secret. You, you, again, somebody spoke of it. Is, is godly community, you know, one of the keys to victory? And soaking in the word of God. Guys, as we soak in the word, I've been reading this book called Hearing God in Conversation. It was given to me, by someone in this godly community. So see how those two things work together? Sometimes the godly community actually helps us get into the word of God better. 
Or sometimes the Word of God encourages us and shows us the way to actually delve into meaningful community in a deeper way. They work hand in hand. And man, it's talking all about hearing the voice of God and soaking in God's Word, meditating on it, just kind of letting it simmer and, and just soaking in it and reflecting together and learning to discern the author of the Word. Because it's saying, you know what, the whole purpose of the Bible is that we would know Jesus in it. That we know our Father through the Word. It's not just to know a bunch of facts and figures. Not we can end up being like those people described that study, 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 but they fall short. No. God is saying, I want you to know me in my Word. I want you to encounter me in my Word. Man, if you need to pick up a book like this, this is blessing me. Pick up a book like this. Learn. Let's give it priority in our lives because nothing is more powerful than God's Word and its effect that it can have. I'm going to close with this. John 16, 33. Jesus was getting ready to lay down his life. He was sharing that last evening with his closest ones to him who had shared the journey for three years, and he says this in verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Echoing Paul's words there, actually, he said them first. Paul echoed them. But take heart. I have overcome the world. God, thank you so much for the promise in your word, God, that you are the overcoming king, that, Lord, you have the ability, the power, the grace, the strength to accomplish in us and to accomplish through us all that you desire and to bring us through the rest of our lives, whatever the world brings, whatever the enemy tries to throw at us, whatever is even birthed of our own soul, our own flesh, our own weakness, God. You're able to bring us into victory. Your word is able to accomplish all that you have purposed it and sent it to accomplish. God, thank you that you've made us part of a family, that we're not alone. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see those opportunities we have to speak a word of life, a word of encouragement, a word of hope, maybe a word of correction, maybe a word of concern and prayer, whatever it might be, Lord. Let us truly be the people of the Most High, a people who reflect you, a people who shine brightly and hotly with the holiness and the love of Jesus in a dark world. God, we give ourselves to you, Lord. God, remove whatever needs to be removed. Call to life whatever needs to be resurrected in us. God, ultimately make us your own. God, I bless your people. Pray you fill us with your Holy Spirit. We thank you for it because you make it possible in Jesus' name. Amen.